Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. AM 1160. Should we still be working from home? And then a hilarious story about hypocrisy and a clothing manufacturer. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Happy Monday! Happy Monday! Happy Monday! Glad that you're here with us today. Hope that you had a great weekend. Let's start there. Good weekend. How was your weekend? Oh, we had a great weekend. We went uh, downtown on Friday night, went out to dinner with some friends. Saturday night, we pulled off a successful surprise party for my son, who's about to be 16. Oh, wow. So it felt like good. We got the like best parent Does awards. Does a 16-year-old boy like a surprise party? Well, so he has been hinting for probably a month. <laughs> Man, a surprise party sure would be cool sometime in my life. His friend got a 16-year-old surprise party. Okay. So. I'm not a big party planner. Like, I don't love hosting Your events. Your husband strikes me as one, though. Well, he, he loves to have people over, but not the planning part. Mm. So here's what we did. His favorite restaurant is a little local place called Coco Loco that we walk to probably once a week. I called up a bunch of his uh, friend's moms and said, can you have your kid at Coco Loco at 445? <laughs> you can? Awesome. Awesome. And then we walked over there. They were all there. I'd gotten them like party glasses and necklaces and hats, and they all yelled, happy birthday. So it was That's simple good. but fun, and he was very surprised. Well, wonderful. Yep. And then yesterday, hung out with our renewal community. So we had a very full weekend. What about you? No, my weekend was great. Uh, just hanging out, doing family stuff. Obviously, we had just gotten back from vacation. Uh, I would say it was really good until the tragic news of the breakup of Pete Davidson and Kim (gasps) Kardashian. Which you sent me while I was (laughs) on my date with my husband. And I was like, no, this can't be true. I ruined it for you. You ruined my date night. And I sent you an article that I thought was like the rebuff, kind of denying that that happened from People Magazine. But it it doesn't seem like that's true. If anybody wants to know (sighs) the deep theological things that Aubrey and I send each other, (laughs) the only two texts we sent each other over the weekend was... The breakup of Pete Davidson right. and uh, Kim Kardashian, and then Aubrey trying to tell me it didn't happen, and me, me going me I in denial, <laughs> me living in denial. The thing that's funny about this, we've talked about this. I feel like Pete Davidson like looks like a dead person, like he looks like a vampire. <laughs> I don't totally get the whole Pete Davidson thing, but I was happy for them, and I liked them together, and. Although you kind of saw this not lasting, it's sad. Yeah, it's the, sad. The Pete Davidson thing, I think, is that. He's the funny guy. He's, He's the, funny the rebound guy. guy. He's the yeah, have yeah. some fun with guy. Like, I think that's what's going yeah. on. All right. So another thing I read over the weekend, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I love Malcolm Gladwell. Do you listen to revisionist history? Oh, so my husband does. And it's one of those podcasts that like if you if we had to do a top five, like on a Friday of podcasts, we should quote unquote listen to. That would be one of those for me. No, so I, I have it. But I, I've read his books and I do like him. On the drive to and from South Dakota, I probably listened to four or five episodes of Revisionist History. Malcolm Gladwell, you might know him from the books. What, what are some of the books? Blink, uh, The Tipping Point, right. I Tipping feel point like is one the of the one. most famous ones. Yeah, several others as well. By the way, I read somewhere an article the other day. He was listed as people who received six figures for speaking engagements. You need to try to get on that list, I by the way. I gotta get on that Malcolm Gladwell speaking yes. money 
right there. Wow. So Malcolm Gladwell, you might wonder, why is he in the headlines? Well, Malcolm Gladwell, I'm reading the headline here. Malcolm Gladwell slams working from home. What have you reduced your life to? Hmm. Feels a little clickbaity because he goes on to say, it's very hard to feel necessary when you're physically disconnected. As we face the battle that all organizations are facing now and getting people back into the office, it's really hard to explain this core psychological truth, which is we want you to have a feeling of belonging and to feel necessary. And we want you to join our team. And if you're not here, it's really Mm. hard to do that. It's not in your best interest to work at home. I know it's a hassle to come into the office, but if you're just sitting in your pajamas in your bedroom, (laughs) is that the work life you want? Don't Mm. you feel like you want to be part of something? And then he went on to say, I'm getting really frustrated with the inability of people in positions of leadership to explain this effectively to their employees. If we don't feel like we're part of something important, what's the point? If it's just a paycheck, then it's like, what have you reduced your life to? He got killed on Twitter. Eviscerated. That's a better word than killed, probably eviscerated. People saying, oh, either sharing their own stories as to why they want to work from home, um, which is always a weird thing to do, right? Because there's always anecdotes as to, okay, we understand you have this health issue right, or you this. Right. He's speaking more broadly. Yeah. And he runs people like, well, he's easy. He's an author who just sits at home. He actually runs an organization right. with the podcast and other stuff. But Aubrey, it brought back the question of working remotely, something that is a new thing really yes. since – not for everybody, for, for, for the majority of our culture, is a new thing mm-hmm. since uh, COVID. Since the pandemic. And yeah. for a lot of, I've been surprised how many of my business friends who like make a ton of money, like high mm-hmm. in, in Chicago, in New York City and whatever, they are the most not back where the people are like, just yeah. do whatever you want. My brother-in-law is telling me like his businesses, his company's office in New York City is basically stopped letting, that nobody has offices anymore. Yeah. Now you reserve a space and come back and uh-huh. they've dropped. And so what do you think of what Malcolm Gladwell is saying here? Because this matters for work. It also matters for church. And so yeah. he's saying, so let's take the work end of it mm-hmm. first. It's important for team and belonging to be rubbing shoulders with each other, this and that, even if it's simpler to be at home. Yeah, I actually think there is something here about creating a work culture that can't happen online. Agreed. And in one sense, I understand the sort of the novelty of being able to work from home and um, I understand the ease of being able to work remotely. I really do. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if you're talking about building team morale, work culture, and uh, feeling that energy like Gladwell's talking about of being a part of something, I actually believe it or not think he's right. Um, even though, you know, I'm an introvert, I'd rather be in my pajamas and work <laughs> from home. I still think, and you and I talk about this, when we're in the studio, there's an energy, it's there's different. a, it, it's faster paced, it's really fun than every once in a while when we record from home or something. And so I, I just think there is a, or, or, um, there's just a difference. There, there just is. is. And I don't know that he should be eviscerated for calling that out. I actually think he's onto something. Why do you think it's making people so angry? Because it's stepping on, I mean, anytime you step on people's like little private lives, it's problematic, right? Mm. And like, and again, like you said, of course, there are certain situations where for health reasons or you're caring for somebody else or your work solo, like you're on the yeah, road or you're, whatever. I mean, you're a single mom, you don't, you can't afford childcare. Like, I understand that there are wonderful reasons to work from home. 
But for other people who can go to an office, be part of a team, um, I think to choose to stay at home, you miss out on something. Is the worst thing ever? I don't know. I don't know how that will trickle down 10 years from now. But um, but does it create more morale being together? Yeah, definitely. So uh, Castle Systems, a security company, recently released a report which found that the office occupancy in 10 major U.S. metro areas averaged 44% wow. in San Francisco and estimated one-third of the city's workforce is remote. Wow. City officials said that the remote work cost it $400 million in tax revenue last year. New York's office occupancy stood at 36%. So that gets at it right now. Let's, uh, you and I, it is a little bit of a weird conversation for you and I have because we have different kind of jobs, mm-hmm. right? Like our pastor jobs. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're often writing on your own. Yeah. Um, you know, we come into the studio, do a show. Yeah. Uh, but there is this idea about coming to church nowadays because yeah. it's it's a little bit the same where yep. people are going, hey, listen, I've kind of fallen in love with sitting on my couch mm-hmm. or – Man, it's just it's it's a hassle to get to the mm-hmm. building. I'd rather you guys have put it online for me now. Like, yeah. what's the point? How would you speak? Because I think some of what Gladwell is saying about office work is actually exponentially more important in in when we talk about church. Yeah, and again, I mean, I, you know, there are outlier situations where because of your health or what have you, mm-hmm. it is a gift to be able to watch a church service online. Yes. Right. But I do think we go, we're kind of circling back to the same thing again and again, which is that like the church is meant to happen together Mm. and that like our humanity, our like being embodied and worshiping together is really the call for the Christian. That was the biblical view of church that we are together worshiping, together encouraging each other. And again, it's just that there's not a replacement. Like is one sinful? No. Mm. Is one better? Yes. And there's just not a replacement for being together, worshiping, being together, learning, being together, cheering each other on. And um, I think you find once you start going to church again, you remember how good it was to be there. And not only that, I think we feel this everywhere, right? Like at the height of the pandemic, it was good that I could go to my favorite restaurant and bring it home. Totally. But I don't want to do that anymore. Right now, I want you want to sit, sit down. in that restaurant. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that when when sporting events came back, even though there were no fans, I could watch them mm-hmm. on my TV. But you know what's more fun? Being a going kid. to the game. Yeah, and I think we get, and that's true for church. And I do think Gladwell's right. I, but I also think it's interesting how much people went in on I him think this weekend so too. I, I I'm a surprise that it's like. It, it, to me, that says there's an idolatry there, which is interesting because anytime people like freak out like that, it's like, oh, we're stepping yeah. on something, some individualism, probably. I think I think yeah. people are going, hey, don't don't rock the boat mm-hmm. here. I'm enjoying staying at home. Mm-hmm. I was having another talk with somebody this week, and he basically said, you can't make these big changes right now because everybody's doing it, right? Yeah. Like you got to kind of stay. Yeah, but it definitely hurts productivity. It's definitely hurts. Interesting. Intra office learning yeah. from each other yeah. and being in community. Like, I think we just have to be honest about mm-hmm. that. And uh, every company needs to make their own call, I suppose. Well, coming up next, Fascinating. Aubrey, a pro Trump clothing company got fined for a really, uh, what I found to be a hilarious reason, an interesting reason. It's going to bring up a larger topic. I want to talk to you about hypocrisy okay. oh. coming up next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Just another manic Monday. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, I'm Brian Fromm. And you know what today is? It is a manic Monday. It is a manic Monday. Yes, today is a manic Monday. And uh, we're glad that you're with us today. So hopefully you had a great weekend. We're looking forward to a great week. Unfortunately, it feels like summer is moving too fast I right now. I was just thinking that. Like, I was looking at the calendar going, <gasps> Wednesday is August 10th. And I don't know why, but in my mind, that feels like middle of August. Mm. Like, I know it's not quite, but like, I'm telling you, it's mid-August already, Brian. What happened? schools are starting earlier and earlier. Yes. So, yeah. Oh, oh no. I feel sad. But we want to give you happy thoughts. Hey, yeah. if you're a parent out there, your kid's going to be your in school. Your kid's going soon. to school. That's good. You're, <laughs> you're back gonna... in a regular rhythm. There You'll have you some go. freedom again. There you go. We're glad that you're with us. If you can't stay with us all day, there's a couple different places you can catch up on the show. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. The Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram. You can find us at Common Good Talk. And uh, all right, Aubrey, I, I teased this to you before. A funny, I found this to be a funny story, but a very telling story. Ready okay. for it? Yeah, I am so ready for this. So let me read the headline and then I'll tell you the story. Pro Trump clothing company fined by feds for replacing made in china tags with made in the usa tags Uh-oh. a the utah based clothing company catchily named lions not sheep Ooh. loves america so much that it's made plenty of a hullabaloo about its clothing being made in america hullabaloo is a good word it i just really want to interrupt is. you do you like the game Move on oh never played it that's a good game okay uh, so much so that a free copy of the u.s constitution was included in every order wow trouble is According to the Federal Trade Commission, the company has actually been cutting the labels off of the clothes. Those labels say made in China or made in another country. And the company has then been stamping the clothes made in America or made in the USA. Stop it. The Salt Lake Tribune reports that the owner has agreed to pay uh, a $211,335 fine. And as part of the legal settlement, Lions Not Sheep has agreed to stop committing label fraud and will stop promoting foreign-made products as U.S.-made and will also contact everyone who has purchased clothing from them (laughs) since May of 2021 to let them know about the company's little fib. Mm. All right, so what do we do with this? Do you find this story to be funny or is... I find it funny and telling, but let's start with the funny. Yeah, I mean, it's funny in the way that, like, dark things are funny like this is actually really problematic right that and it's in here's what's interesting to me that one of the things the article says is that this guy who's the leader of the the uh, sheep what's it called lions, lions not, not sheep. sheep you have to say it in a very like yes, aggressive sorry. voice lions, the lions not, sheep. not sheep ceo his name is sean whalen is a trump supporter who follows everything trump says this mm-hmm. is what they say And it's interesting to me that I feel like we've talked about this on the show before, and maybe there's not a direct correlation, but hear me out. We've talked about how integrity of the leader matters Mm. and it trickles down to the integrity of the followers. And that's a blanket statement. Certainly you can find lack of integrity on all sides of anything you want to, but let's just talk about this case. It lacks integrity. Period. 100%. And it's hypocritical, period. It seems like also uh, 
That's a lot of work. <laughs> like, really just is? order your shirts from the U.S. I don't. I mean, that is a lot of effort to deceive I people. I know whose job it was just to cut the labels. <laughs> yeah, I think what you said earlier is fair. You could be the biggest uh, President Trump fan in the world, and you just have to acknowledge that he has been loose with the truth. Yes. And so these kinds of things then send the follow. This past Sunday, I was uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, preached at my church about hypocrisy. Oh wow! And uh, the part where. Um, you know, Jesus says, don't do your righteous acts for man's approval. Mm. And then he says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. Uh, And so I've got, I've had hypocrisy on the mind. This is a great example. In fact, I wish I'd had this example before I preached. This is a wonderful example of hypocrisy. Yeah, it is. I I am. I, I, he's saying they're proclaiming part of their shtick is we are made in the USA. Right. We are. We're going to send you the Constitution mm-hmm. when we send you your clothes. Mm. And instead of just going, "Hey, we're looking to make the most money possible. We're going to buy the cheapest uh, yep. stuff we can, and that's right. made in China." Uh, so I do. Let, let's talk hypocrisy because it's been on my mind. Because this story, we can push this aside. This yeah, story's been. Sure. This story's been funny. Uh, but I think it is telling of the untruthfulness and more so the hypocrisy that we have around us. Um, yeah. do as I say, not, not as, as I, I do, do mm-hmm. seems to be a, an increasing mantra culturally. Mm-hmm. And so um, when that leaks into the church yeah, and when that leaks into the life of the Christ mm-hmm. follower, when we are hypocritical, yeah, talk to me about the results of that. You know, I, this makes me think of a guy in our church years ago. He's a hypocrite. Uh, we're all hypocrites (laughs) years and years ago this wasn't even a renewal church actually but he he was he said something in front of his son he was offering himself up as a bad example and i kind of went you're saying that in front of your son Mm. and he goes my son knows it's not a monkey see monkey do world and i was really struck by that because what i saw in that moment was a father sort of shirking his responsibility mm. to be a man of integrity instead of his in front of his son and um to to set an example for his son and so again we know in the church we're at the end of the day all of us are hypocritical mm-hmm. this is a blatant example of that not right. all of us are this blatant why we need Jesus so desperately because we, I mean, Paul's very clear. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. That's hypocritical, right? We are all that as sinners. And yet it, the intentional hypocrisy, I think, or the the hiddenness, the intentional deceit is what really mars the reputation of Jesus. And at the end of the day hurts both the church and the people who are like looking at the church, like it's more fodder, more fuel for not following Jesus because even his followers are such hypocrites, right? So what do we do with somebody could be out there thinking, all right, everybody's a hypocrite. Yeah. Uh, I, I use this imagery this week. There, There's the word hypocrite. It has this idea of play acting. Right. Like you're an actor. Right. Um, if, if we all are hypocritical to some level. Mm-hmm then why not just throw up our hands and go, mm-hmm. then I'm just going to embrace my hypocrisy and yeah. just lean into the grace of Jesus. He's right. going to forgive me anyway. We're right. all going to be hypocrites anyway. Why do we even try to become less hypocritical, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of scripture. Like there's a scripture um, that we've been praying over our oldest son since he was born, uh, Psalm 101, which talks about being the same inside of the home as you are outside of the home. 
James talks about like let your yeses be mm. yeses. And so there is a there is a scriptural thread of the value of integrity, which mm-hmm. I would think is the opposite of hypocrisy, right? Like maybe you're not perfect, but you are at least by the power of the Holy Spirit trying to be the same on the outside as you are on the inside and owning when you're not. Mm. And I think that might be the key right there is that those of us who are hypocritical and we just said we all are we are humble enough and secure enough before God to be like, oh, that's an area of my life that's hypocritical. I need to change. And we're not just like ongoing this, trying to continue in our own deceit, right? right? Um, I would love to hear your thoughts, Brian, since you, especially since you're preaching on this or just preaching I on I did this. just preach on it. Yeah. I, I think that hypocrisy... Um, gets driven from wrong motive, right? That's why Jesus says, don't try to do your righteousness in front of other people mm. for other people. Wow. And I, I seen Claire Ferguson. This was like, this is why it's fun to preach. Cause you start to go, Oh, I'm learned. Like that's not something I thought of. Sinclair Ferguson in that passage in Matthew six, one through 18 says in 10 different times, it talks about God as father. Mm. And I, he said, that's intentional that wow. our understanding of who God is, how he sees us that from there flows the, that's where we lose the desire to pretend and wow. be a hypocrite. And and I think there's truth to that, that mm-hmm. when we understand that God is our father in Christ, we are his children. Mm-hmm. Like, then I think there's a freedom to live as he's called us to. And we can embrace the fact that we're going to fail, but, but we fail, you know, we receive forgiveness from our yeah. father and then we, we try to do better yeah, knowing good. that he's not going to get rid of us if we don't yeah. do better. Same way my kids. It, right. I would be a really uh, unhappy parent if they were like, well, you said you were, I'm always going to be your kid. So <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah, right. exactly. So we don't want to do that hypocrisy. We're used to it in the political sphere. Taryn tags off uh, is is kind of a really blatant example. But what happens when we're hypocritical in the church and really how do we fight against it? Well, coming up next at Religion News, when preachers get political, do they change Mine's going to talk political speech from the pulpit next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a Monday afternoon. All right, Aubrey. I want to talk politics and the pulpit. Ooh, okay. You and I both preach on a regular basis. Uh, I probably preach more on Sunday morning, but mm-hmm. you're out speaking yep. at conferences and yep. such. And there's always that question as to when do you dive into political speech? Mm-hmm. When do you dive into um, topics of the day, yep. if you will, yep. whether it be election or, and I don't mean like election in the Bible, I mean like an election yes. or, you know, immigration uh-huh. or issues of race or even yep. the insurrection on January 6th, whatever yep. else it might be. Um, there are some people who will say, pastors, you need to start like discipling your people yeah. and doing that. Others go and preach the word, preach yeah. the gospel. If that opens the door to talking about stuff yeah. so be it yeah do you have a thing do you have um a way that you or maybe you and your husband at renewal church think through that uh and kind of make those decisions so we probably make people uncomfortable um who aren't used to us and i would say maybe kevin more so than me um uh 
because this is what's hard is when the political issue is theological. So my husband is very intentional and very consistent with uh, preaching against racism. And some people might say that's political. And he would go, I'm, this is literally the passage of scripture that we're reading right now. Um, he's he, like, we bring in folks from world relief mm-hmm. and they talk about immigration and how as Christians we're meant to welcome the refugee and that would be political for some people, but then we would go, well, have, are you reading the Bible? So this is where we might land on something that someone else would say that's too political. And we'd go, no, that's scriptural. That's a unique thing about renewal church though. Like like, uh, we're sort of able to push some of those um, grounds. We didn't, I don't think we talked about the instruction. I'm trying to remember if we did or not. Um, but so we have talked about some things that people would say are political and we haven't necessarily thought they are, but I think they are. So, you know, um, I don't know. I feel like it's an art and not a science and it's particular to certain churches too. Yeah. And, And that's the interesting part. I bring this up because there was a fascinating article, uh, over at religion news where it just is titled this, um, when preachers get political, do they change minds? Mm. Preachers tend to risk political speech only when they know it will receive a warm reception. So Ryan Burge, who's been on the show, oh, yeah. does a ton of research. Uh, and, and he did it around the churches and politics and did some surveying. And he found a couple things. One, there's less political speech going on in churches than you'd expect. Okay. Two, what he found out was when pastors speak about politics. Yeah. They tend to speak of it when they know it will be warmly accepted. Interesting, because they don't want to push any buttons. So using the old term, but it plays really well in a church, when you know you're preaching to the choir, yep. then versus being prophetic and going, yeah. hey, we have this problem. Yeah. We are. Yeah. But instead, yeah. and underlying this, mm-hmm. Burge finds, is that increasingly people are choosing their churches. Yes theologically and other things, but also by, do I match the politics of this yeah, church? Is yeah. this for lack of a better yeah. word, a Republican or a right, Democrat right, church? Right. And so the pastor kind of knows who they're speaking mm-hmm. to uh, and is kind of pulling the punches or going yeah. this way. Let me, and I'd love for you to respond to this, but he says this bird says this, the most interesting statistics of all from this survey may be this among those who reported going to church or watching a service online in the past month, Three quarters reported hearing no mention of President Trump and a, a stolen election or January 6th incident in a sermon. And here's the moneymaker. Political speech is rare. And when it is invoked, mm. it's almost always done in an environment where the pastor mm. knows it will receive a warm reception. So basically that you're preaching to the choir. Interesting. It, it is interesting. Is it surprising to you at all? Yeah, it's a little surprising to me. Only I And I'm only basing this on our experience. And again, my husband is a little more comfortable with the not preaching to the choir, but um, because of some of the things he was preaching about, especially in COVID, especially like around when George Floyd was killed, oh, he was not preaching to the choir. And we had a lot of people leave Renewal Church because they felt like they couldn't be, they wanted to know who he voted for, which he would never say, mm. by the way. Um, and, and lots of people were leaving because they thought, because they were like, we 
we don't align with the political point of view of kind our of what pastor. they're saying here. Yeah. yeah. And so we lost a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So that was not our experience that we um, that Kevin was preaching to a warm reception. That said, sometimes I, I don't, as a wife, had to be like, babe, like, you don't remember <laughs> who's in the room. So I do think in, in some. Yeah, yeah. In some sense, I think pastors are if they're going to talk about politics, they're going to do it a way that's not going to make people run away and I get that. I yeah. totally get that. You don't want to offend the people that you're shepherding. You want to ease into things. I also do think there's a moment in time, especially if scripture calls for it to be that prophetic voice like you're talking about. Mm. And I do think that's something Kevin's good at. And remember, like prophets aren't received well. So. No, they're not. Yeah. Uh, there is that feeling of no pastor wants to lose people. No pastor wants to lose. People. Nobody wants to get that email waiting for them right. on Monday or Tuesday going, <laughs> right, right. how dare you say that? Right. Or how dare. Now, we've all lost people over politics. That's we've true. all lost. Especially in 2020. And it is interesting. You'll lose people. Um, you'll lose people, like you just said, because of what Kevin has said. Uh huh. I've had people leave because of they didn't think I was willing to say what they wanted to hear me say. And I'm like, well, you might not like what I say if I talked about that subject. Right, like that's not right. uh, what I'm doing. So a pastor's listening right mm-hmm. now. Give them some words of wisdom from your opinion. Let's both give them some words of wisdom of how to navigate this. Because here's it, this could really be just chasing your tail. If yeah. every If every Sunday I'm getting up. And going, well, let me comment on the news of the right. week. It's going to go. It's going right. to go poorly. But yet it doesn't feel like we should shrink away from everything. So um, I feel like I don't have a lot of wisdom except this. I do feel like by and large, the people in our churches are being discipled by political pundits or their news outlets or social media. Hmm. And so. I do think there is a place in church for a pastor to at least equip the people they're shepherding in how to think about these topics politically, how to gauge, okay, when you hear someone, a political leader or a pundit or whatever, say this thing, how can you use biblical and godly discernment to go, is that true or isn't that true? So it's almost like maybe you don't feel comfortable like stepping in the exact issue but can you equip your people to be discipled to think godly and biblically mm. about political topics? I think that's the key. And I also think like there are places in scripture that are very clear where we, I think abortion, like mm-hmm. pro-life is one of those stances. I think anything that's um, anti-racist, we can support. Like there are things we can talk about with biblical, like, backing behind us and we don't have to be we don't have to fear the opinions of man um and do it relationally that's good do right? it relationally. like if you're doing it from the pulpit and then no one can talk to you about it that disagrees with you i don't think that's a good idea i that's think good. you need to have conversations in relationship with people and i think if fear is the driver what's going to happen are people going to leave mm-hmm. people going to be mad at me people gonna be this that's probably bad yeah discretion can be like, Hey, I just don't think that this will go well. People, this is going to take the focus off of Jesus and going to put it on something else. That's good. But I also think this is why it's important. You know, I'm not, I don't not saying you always have to preach all the way through a book or whatever, but this is why it's important to anchor your preaching ministry in the word Yep. because it's going to make you talk about things. Yeah, it is. So I don't need to go, Hey, I'm going to do a sermon this week on race. 
Right. But I'm going to get to uh-huh. certain passages and go, if I'm going to be right with this passage, I need to talk yeah. about this. And yeah. and then it becomes a theological talk. Yeah. And so, uh, and I guess the last thing I would say is it, maybe there's other venues other than the pulpit mm, where you can, you can engage people. Yeah. And the last thing is what you said, do it in community. Yeah. So preachers preaching politics. We've got another election coming soon. So. Uh, we're going to see uh, that probably come out again here in full force. Well, coming up next, Aubrey Ivey, uh, a story of amazingly somebody who did not get bitter over losing upwards of $2.8 billion. Going to talk about bitterness and regret from this story from 1973 next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. One prominent celebrity believes that God supports abortion, and later how older and younger generations view ethics. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this dreary Monday evening. I'm hoping the sun comes out before the moon comes out, but we'll see what happens. We're glad you're here. Good uh, Good weather or bad weather. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. If you've missed any of today's show, we'd love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast, wherever it is you cast those pods of yours. We also love engaging with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Okay, Brian, Mm -hmm. before we dive into the celebrity story, I was going to tell you, I have another celebrity story. and This is a sad one. Yes. Olivia Newton-John, Sandy from Greece passed away yeah 73 years old so here's what yes that's not that's young it is but you like i wasn't aware that she had been battling cancer for decades right like when people die you go you start to learn their stories a little bit but obviously olivia newton john famous for many things but primarily from greece so there was a a great Instagram post but from John Travolta today Aww. where they were and, and she sounds like she was just a delightful person. Yeah. I don't know anything about her, but yeah. the stuff her daughter said about her, the stuff and there is let's go be melancholy here, right? There's something about the passage of time when people yes. that were young, you know, in your minds or that you grew up, yes. you know, Greece is a little before our time. Right. Olivia Newton John's a good thirty years older than us. Right. Um but yeah, still Sad. 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 Yep. All right. Well, Olivia Newton-John, we remember her. Okay. So we're going to turn the tables to another celebrity story, Brian. And I almost don't want to set this up for you because it is so wild, but I will. It's a conversation that Elizabeth Hesselbeck, who's she's back on The View now. Is, is she having, really? Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. Yep. Yep. She's huh. newly back having a conversation about abortion. And Whoopi Goldberg interjects about abortion and what she thinks God thinks about it. Really, really interesting. Let's take a listen. It's sad. You know, that's a grief, right? So yeah. that's a grief. And I think whether you struggled with um, fertility like I did, you know, took um, you were here. I mean, I was yes. trying to get acupuncture, trying to have a baby. If, you're, if you struggle with infertility, whether you've had an ectopic pregnancy, whether you've had a number of miscarriages, which you grieve, and that's hard. Um, I think one thing we're failing to mention to, to women as women is that there are options out there um, that extend beyond abortion. I personally believe, um, not because I believe life has value, because I believe our creator assigns value to life, um, and that those lives have plan and purpose over them as designed by God that are not limited to the circumstances of conception um, nor the situations they're born into. Um, but I do think there are options out there. There are thousands of agencies that wrap around women um, that might not be able to 
care for the baby once born or may not want the baby when they're pregnant or maybe it was unexpected and they're in a hard situation, but that will come around at no cost and wrap around you. And I might not change your minds, but I hope women out there know to look for the nonprofits, look for the agencies that help you create a birth plan and match you with an adoptive family who may have suffered miscarriage after miscarriage who want to care for the baby. So that option's real and it's out there. And I don't believe in giving women half the information out there. And I think those lives think, have a precious value on them. They do. And you, as you know, God doesn't make mistakes. God made us smart enough to know when it wasn't going to work for us. That's the, that's the beauty no. of giving us freedom of choice. No. Yes, because I know my relationship, you know, my relationship is always choppy. Yeah. With it's God. always choppy. With God? With God, always, because I have a lot he of questions. You. You're his favorite, oh, I Listen, I, I, I have no doubt, but I also know that God made me smart enough to know that if there are alternatives out there that can work for me, I will investigate. Them. But I also know God said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I will not make that decision for anybody. What about the life in the womb? You know, I will say this, that life has a plan and a purpose designed by God. I don't believe there's any circumstance where we should give the death penalty that, to an innocent I, life. I love that you feel that and that's way. That's why I brought it is, this towel. It's great. For all of you. Just if you want to say this, because we're not going to agree, but I hope that women out there know that that's awesome. Yes. This says, I'd agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. I mean, how about that conversation? Can, a lot happening there. Yes. Can I start? I had not yeah, heard that. Yeah, you start, Brian. Uh, let me start by saying, uh, Elizabeth Hasselbeck, that was a really impressive. She was. Um, laying out yes. of, with, with, in my mind, with compassion, mm-hmm. with understanding, mm-hmm. with um, personal story. I yeah. thought that was really well done. I thought and, so, too. Um, yeah, so you I know was what really else I appreciated about her, uh, and we'll get into what Whoopi talked about in just a minute. But what I was impressed by Elizabeth Hasselbeck also saying to Whoopi Goldberg, "And God loves you. You are mm. one of His favorites." Mm. And I just thought, man, she is like—I don't know—she is like bearing witness to the gospel in a situation where a lot of people, I think, would have gotten angry and feisty and fought, and instead, she just chose love and laid laid out her argument really beautifully. I really appreciated her. And now to the Whippy Goldberg side, I got lots of thoughts on that one. Yeah. But one of them is you and I have said from the beginning of our conversations about this predating the Roe versus yeah. Wade being overturned and everything. You and I have been very, very consistent with um, with there being value to what is within the woman. Yes. That being a baby. Yep. And Whippy Goldberg. Uh, clearly disagrees with that. And again, I go back to that is the dividing line in this conversation. She literally said, do unto others as you want them doing to you. And I'm sitting there screaming and Elizabeth Hasselbeck ended Uh up saying it. Apply that to the baby. Apply that to the baby. And I think then, but but if you do not believe that's a baby, right? Then you right. understand how you get to those points. Right. I mean, the, we can then tackle the really, really, really bad theology of God doesn't make mistakes, and, and so therefore, therefore God is pro-abortion. But God doesn't make mistakes, so therefore, don't abort the baby. I don't. I, that's what I was thinking. I yeah. thought, oh, Whoopi's about to say God doesn't make mistakes, therefore the baby should be born. But she went in a totally weird totally direction with that. Direction. Yeah. So, uh, well done by Elizabeth Hasselbeck. I thought but, so too. Um, yeah. What was your takeaway from what Whoopi Goldberg? I think a couple things. I think 
one, I just, and I know we've already said this, but I, I just wanted to bring up Elizabeth Hasselbeck's posture because you could, I mean, sure, watching it, you can tell she's passionate about this. You can tell she disagrees mm-hmm. with um, Whoopi Goldberg. I actually appreciated that all the women on The View gave each other space to talk. Sometimes they really I've did list- let her talk for a while. There. They did. And sometimes I've listened to The View and they really, they cut each other off. They just argue. And so whoever's directing it now must have said, like, let people make statements and you know, then respond. So I appreciated that there was some, there was some common good nuance happening there. And I felt like, but but Elizabeth Hasselbeck's both her argument and her posture, and then sharing the love of God with Whoopi. I just wanted to elevate that because sometimes yeah. we t- we tell the stories what we feel like people are doing wrong, and and so many people in our culture are so against someone like Elizabeth who's being pro life so publicly. But I just thought she handled it really well. And then I guess secondly, I I was very I just I guess disturbed and all um, and. You almost have to laugh a little bit to be like, okay, Whippy, you are just taking scripture out of context and using it however you want to. And then I was a little bit sad when she said, my relationship with God is always choppy. Yeah. And I thought, and actually, if you watch the video, you see Elizabeth look at the camera and kind of go, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I just think that's a telling piece, too, is that, like, Whoopi Goldberg doesn't necessarily have peace with God. Mm. And therefore, she's coming from a place where she's wrestling. She's even wrestling as she's talking. But misquoting scripture, I think, was the part where I was like, yeah. man, it's... um." Her argument is not founded in anything biblical, but she's trying to say God is for abortion. That's dangerous. It felt like a, I know what I want to believe. I know what I think. And I'm going to use God language to get there. And people on the other side could say the same thing about us. I understand that. Uh, But ultimately, the biggest thing for for that clip for me is once again, I think why people on either side of this debate have such a difficult time talking about it is because you're coming from a completely different foundational perspective. That's it, Brian. Completely different foundations. And it happened right there on Mm -hmm. that show. And I think that's helpful for us to remember that if you out there are, are pro-life, you, you want to see babies, born. like that becomes the talking point. Like, Hey, I understand, you know, yes, bodily autonomy or women's or all this stuff, but let's please put the focus on, that life. And let me tell you why I believe that life has dignity from yeah. the beginning, because God created and God knit together mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And I think that's where it becomes. I think that's where the focus of this conversation always needs to stay. Yeah. And the last thing I appreciated that Elizabeth just said, I want the women to have all the information and that, you know, believe it or not, that like like those who are anti or anti abortion, no, those who are anti pro-life will not believe this, but that's a very woman empowering statement. Like Mm. she's saying, like, I want women to have all the information and then make the decision. I don't believe in giving women half truths or half of the information. And so in, in one sense, she's also making a very like pro woman, pro life Mm -hmm. argument. Anyway, very interesting to see people in pop culture and how they, how they take a stand or don't take a stand on the abortion issue. Coming up next, we're going to keep talking about, pro-life issues, but these ones have nothing to do with abortion. We'll discuss those when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. So glad that you are with us today. 
feel like we're we're kind of having a dance and day. So you're the, the way you come back from breaks with like you, your excitement level is determined it by the music. The music. Yes. Always, I try to I do that intentionally. I try to fit the music vibe. Like if it's like a little more mellow, I'll be like, "Hey, everybody, welcome to the Gummo Good." But if it's like, <laughs> "Oh jazzy. hi," like we just heard, I'm like, "Hey, everybody." And what would you do if we came back with country music? <laughs> like i'd go silent like i'd be like i don't know what to say here are you a country music fan not really yeah, there's certain either. at times i will yeah i did in college very much go through a garth brooks stage <laughs> yes i got friends you know he's from oklahoma so we are big garth brooks people in sure. oklahoma i've seen him in concert oh see that now yeah. that would be good i feel like college is a little too late though for garth brooks not when you're from jersey there's not a lot of garth brooks in jersey <laughs> He's just in Jersey it's at that bon point. It's not Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen, and Garth Brooks. It's not that at all. That's fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, speaking of younger generations. No. no did that work? No, oh, was, that worked. That was just a semi. Yeah, okay, semi. Good segue. Uh, Scott Sauls is talking about different generations. Scott Sauls, if you don't know, is a pastor that Brian and I both follow. He writes a lot and blogs a lot. And we, we tend to like what he has to say. He's bringing up the topic about different generations and biblical ethics. Let me read it to you, Brian, and let's unpack what he says here. Younger generations are suspicious of biblical ethics. Older generations of biblical justice. Mm. Jesus says you must have both if you're going to follow him. Word and deed, grace and truth, love and law, ethics and justice, Mm. Then this is in quotes, you must repent and you must remember the poor. He's quoting Jesus there. That's interesting. Uh, thoughts on that? I can't think about this without the meme, my favorite meme, why not both, right? <laughs> Jesus goes, why not why both? Why not both? Uh, it is interesting. You know, I, I think the the blessing and the curse of an Instagram post or a tweet or Facebook is you, forces you to paint with a broad brush. Yeah. So you might be younger out there going, that's not me. You might be older, but he's painting with a broad brush there. Right, right. Um, and I think he's right. Mm-hmm. You hear this a lot from younger generations. They don't want to talk about ethics. They don't want to talk how you, what you should do, That's how you so should true. live. And there is a lot of suspicion in older generations mm-hmm. about justice and uh, the, you know, um, people, you know, you, these are the things you always hear uh, called woke or, you know, communist or whatever else it <laughs> right, might be. Right. But in fact, Jesus was concerned with how we live and how we treat our neighbor. Yeah. Jesus was concerned with our holiness yeah. and also our godliness, right. how we treated other people. Right. As I said, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. I think Saul's does a wonderful job here. Jesus is saying we need both of these. And it is true. A lot of times in our in our faith and in our churches and in our conversations, it is word or deed, mm-hmm. grace or truth, mm-hmm. love or law, ethics or justice, you know, repentance or, you know, social action. Yeah. And and Saul's is right. He if you could see the Instagram post, he capitalizes the word and it's mm-hmm. word and deed, grace and truth, love and law, ethics and justice, mm-hmm. repentance and social action, remembering yeah. of the poor. I think yeah. It's hard to live. The, it's hard to live out, but he's right. He's right, and it is probably interesting to think why. Why has this broken down around? That's what I'm curious about. Yeah. I feel like that to me is I'm trying to figure out well, like why, like why are younger generations suspicious of biblical ethics? And I would say that's very true, mm-hmm. even in Christians. 
And why are older generations suspicious of biblical justice? Do you, I mean, do you have any thoughts about like how things came to be this way generationally? I'm not sure I understand the justice one greatly, but yeah. I think that if you're, th- this might be. So think about your parents' generation, my parents' okay. generation. Yep. That that generation, there was for for better or for worse, there was a lot of black and white, a lot of fundamentalism in the sense of do this, don't do this. And I think our generation started pushing back against that a little bit. And I think mm-hmm. our I think the mm-hmm. younger generations, the one after us, I think they're responding to any real talk about you should do this. Yeah. You should do, and I think they've gone too far. Yes. As a as a, like. Oh, it's grace and right. The, no, right. we're still called the holiness. We're yep. still called that feels it to me. Maybe I'm just spitballing here. Maybe the older generation has seen that. And all they hear from the younger generation is right. Feed the poor, right. do this races, whatever else. Right. And they've said, Nope, you're missing this. And this is just kind of a, it's not as important. Maybe, maybe, that's um, it. maybe it's just a different, a different, uh, a difference in, in the generations and being able to even speak to each other. And yeah. Even that could be part of it. Other. Really relate to one another. But I do think it begs the question, how do we get to the point where we're living the way that Saul's is talking about, where we care about yeah. where it's an and not an or right. for us. It's interesting to me to think about something you just said, which is the generations being divided and, I'm not saying this is a this is the solution. I wonder if this might help. Like we've talked before about uh, how our small groups, our discipleship, does tend to happen generationally. Like the younger people are together, older people are together. It. I'm not. I, I mean, I sound a little Pollyanna to be like, let's just all get in a room and have a conversation. I'm not that naive to think that'll solve everything. Mm. But if we're truly in community, willing to learn from the different generations and what the Spirit of God is moving in this generations and realizing like both are bringing something to the table, then perhaps there is like a new shaping that can happen. And I think the other thing is this goes back to something we say a lot on the show, which is like, you need to know the Bible so that you're not like appalled or suspicious by these things, but you're going, Oh yeah, this is just Christianity. Like this is what Jesus talked about word and deed, grace and truth, love and law ethics and justice. And I, like these things shouldn't be shocking to people, but you're right that we get a lot of like name calling that happens to sort of prevent us from having real conversations. But ultimately, like Skulls, Saul's is just talking about Jesus. So it's really difficult. This should sound elementary. It's really difficult to read the Gospels and say that Jesus didn't care about how we live. Right. Like that if you're like, no, he doesn't care about ethics. It's all great. Go read your Gospels. Yeah. Go read the Bible. Right. It's very, it is equally as difficult to read the Gospels in Jesus's words mm-hmm. and go, you know what? He doesn't care how we treat other people. He doesn't care that we uh, treat the least of these well. He doesn't actually get, nope, you're, re- you're reading, you're not reading the Gospel. Right. It, it is clearly that Jesus cares how we live. He cares about our holiness mm-hmm. and he cares that we are for the least of these, we are for the downtrodden, we are for justice. Yep. And these don't, not only do these not have to be at odds with each other, if they're ever at odds with each other, you're missing the words of Jesus. Mm. You're just getting it wrong. Yeah. And and I think that's what Saul's is pushing back against. So I kind of answered the question, Brian, like, how do we get better at this? What are your thoughts on that? How do we get better at, at the why not both? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would say... Um, 
I would say that uh, we get back to reading the Bible, right? We get back to having these discussions. And then I also think this is much easier said than done, Aubrey. I understand this. But when it, whenever we just label stuff, that can be our way of just shutting down the conversation. Yeah, yeah. For instance, let's pretend you and I are, un- or let's use his dichotomy, the young and the old. Mm-hmm. Okay. If any time somebody who's older wants to talk about what you should and shouldn't do and ethics and this and that, and all you yell is fundamentalist, (laughs) that's done to shut them down. Yeah, right. If you as the younger person are trying to tell somebody the next generation, we need to be concerned for the immigrant. We need to be concerned for the homeless. We need to be stepping in for the poor. We need to be this. And all they yell at you is woke. Mm -hmm. That's to shut down. Mm -hmm. And that that's where we just don't we talk past each other. We don't have the conversations. And so. I would just challenge people, read your Bibles. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's been kind of the message of the day. Read your Bibles. And you tell me if Jesus only cared about one of these. Mm -hmm. And so if he cared about both of these, we can have conversations about what it looks like now. But you can't dismiss one of them because as Saul says, Jesus basically said both. I want both from you. Yep. Yep. Good, good word, Brian. Good word. I'm sitting here listening to you like Brian's preaching to me right now. I love it. Uh, Read the Bible and I think practice humility and and be willing to learn. I think that's really good. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the difference between hope and toxic positivity. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody welcome back to the common good my name is aubrey sampson alongside my co-host brian it is the end of the day on monday hopefully you're driving home to a good family dinner tonight hopefully you had a good uh first day back at work the week is rolling the week is rolling that's yep. right and i feel like now we can cut like it's almost tuesday now so this is good monday's almost over but at the end of the day the end of every show we like to bring you something challenging spiritually something to maybe make you think or put a smile on your face or encourage you and um, Brian, if I were, I'm going to throw a term at you okay. and I want you to try to define it as best you can. Okay. If I said toxic positivity to mm. you, what would you say that is? Yeah, let's see. I, I think it is the concept of somebody who's just always needs to make everything positive. It's mm. just, uh, it refuses to acknowledge the presence of difficulty. Mm. Uh, everything is gets tied up in a bow, everything at taking a positive angle on everything uh, in ways that's hurtful for people who are going yeah. through stuff. Did I get it right? Yeah, you're you're I mean, I feel like you're right on the money. So over at churchleaders.com, they're talking about toxic positivity and they're saying, like, how can positivity be toxic? Mm-hmm. They're saying we're not talking about, look, it's good to have an optimistic outlook on life. That's not this. Toxic positivity can be described as insincere positivity that leads to harm, needless suffering, or Mm. misunderstanding. And then goes on to say, for the non-Christian, an attitude of toxic positivity might be marked with phrases like, quote, good vibes only, or we as Christians tend to hide behind Bible verses like, quote, rejoice in the Lord always Mm -hmm. so that we don't have to experience pain. And um, here's some of the ways they say toxic positivity perpetuates harm. Again, this is over at churchleaders.com, why Christians should be beware, beware of the trap of toxic positivity. The first one is this. 
Toxic positivity is a shallow substitute for hope. The main reason toxic positivity is damaging is that it's shallow, a shallow substitute for biblical hope in Jesus. Um, Unpack that, Brian. Because I, I think it's what we talk about here often on the show, that to have a robust theology of Jesus and of Christianity says there is the presence of pain. There is the presence of darkness. This is where we live in the already, not yet. Mm. There is this idea that that in this world, you will have trouble. Mm. And then we can talk about what do we do with that reality? But with the, oh, you all Christians always rejoice, always have smiles on their faces, never struggle. It's a sin to to struggle. You know, no Christian is depressed, whatever else it might be. Then that doesn't even get you to the point of having those deeper conversations about what does Jesus, uh, how do I understand Jesus in light of the brokenness yeah, of the world, in light yeah. of what the reality is that we all do. The rest is just play. The rest mm-hmm. is just pretend. The rest mm-hmm. is just, uh, and we all know it's not true. Right, and so therefore right. you sit there going, am I the only crazy one here? Or what, <laughs> what? But we all know it. And so I think to have a deep theology, a robust theology requires us to go, they're suffering in this world. I'm going to have trouble. What does that mean yeah. for my theology of Jesus and his goodness? Yeah. Oh, it's so good, Brian. All right. Uh, number two, another reason why toxic positivity is dangerous. Uh, and I like this one because I wrote a book on it. <laughs> Lament is a biblical category we too often ignore. The common misconception of Christians is that we're always supposed to be happy and cheerful. But anger, fear, outrage, terror, and sadness are actually very biblical emotions. We see them expressed in the Bible all the time. Um, And they go on to share some examples Mm -hmm. of lament in this article. They say it's healthy to be upset about everything that's wrong in the world and in your life. God allows that. You can express your negative emotions authentically both to God and to others. It's actually biblical to do so, Mm -hmm. even though sometimes we think it isn't. I mean, I should let you speak on that as number one in the Christian death uh, book Why, list. You. But congratulations again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a, this again goes back to this pretending that there's not yeah, struggle, right? And that we don't get sad, and right. that we don't do that, and that is just not reality. And therefore, it it starts to place God in the mm. wrong light. We start to have now have a misunderstanding of yeah. God. Our theology, it's, it all plays on itself. Yeah, and another one they say, number three, toxic positivity suppresses justice and disregards the experience of others. Toxic positivity is a defense mechanism to keep you from feeling uncomfortable emotions, which is unhealthy itself. But the mm. thing about being emotionally unhealthy is that it causes you to hurt other people in the process They say, unfortunately, this author, I've seen this happen often with regard to issues of social justice, particularly racial justice. I hear people say that God loves everybody, and so we just need to love each other. It's a sin problem, not a skin problem. Mm. They might even quote the children's song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. However, when you use platitudes as a cover, rather than sitting in the uncomfortable moment of feeling someone else's pain or being willing to do anything about it, you're not helping. The truth isn't helpful unless it guides you to action. Talk about how James says that faith without works is dead. I think that's a good, that's a really good Absolutely. there. So then they have um, kind of a countermeasure, which is basically this. Have the courage to be real. This author, this is Dale Chamberlain, by the way. He says, despite what it might sound like, I'm not trying to suck all of the optimism out of the room. Please don't read this post as permission to be overly negative and critical right. in the name of authenticity. He says it can be equally dangerous to be toxically negative. I think that's really true. You don't want to walk around being a basket case, but encouragement isn't the same thing as saying something nice. He says true encouragement comes when we enter the weight 
of other people's pain into their painful moment without dismissing it. And then we point to the hope we have in Jesus. I think this is so key because I know personally, I've been around some toxically positive people and I'm almost like, oh, I can't relate to you Mm -hmm. because you're not willing to relate to me. And so we're just, this is, this relationship isn't going to go anywhere. Okay, fine. I, but what you find is often it is like, the pain people are in, they just can't even acknowledge it. Like they're almost like distant from their own heartache. And so as a way, I guess as a defense mechanism, like mm. this article says, this toxic positivity positivity is sort of a, a way to mask the pain. That's right. That's right. Pretending that pain doesn't exist, I think is exactly that. It's, it's not being authentic. It's, it's putting on a mask. It's pretending it's playing pretend land, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, my, when my daughters were growing up, we played pretend land. Like we would pretend and yeah. that's all you're doing. If you, if you're trying to live in a world where you being a Christian means no problems and no troubles, you're just playing pretend. Yeah. And then when the troubles come, you don't have a robust theology to mm-hmm. build your faith upon and hold on. Right. You're just going to crash. It's the building your house on sand. It's mm-hmm. all going to come crashing down. So if you're out there going through hard times right now like he's present he's victorious yeah uh this is not how it's always going to be and you can hold on yeah that's so good i i think about people like that we talk about on the show quite a bit a tim challies or a scott sauls people who have really like known pain and suffering and they're willing to acknowledge openly Mm -hmm. and yet still have like a very like um like a fighter's prize type of faith that they've like clung to in the middle of their heartache i think that that gives people some right. gravitas. So when you're looking for hope, you look for that type of gravitas, not for this fake toxic uh, positivity. And God doesn't need you to do that. You don't have to tie up pain in a pretty little package. You can be That's real. Right. And like Brian said, you can go to Jesus with your pain and with your heartache. And that actually, that authenticity actually, I think is more hopeful at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will be back again tomorrow on Tuesday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.